You're listening to On The Air. It's time to talk about kitesurfing. And here is your host, Lewis Crathen. Hi everybody, welcome to episode 4 of On The Air. I'm Lewis Crathen. This episode features some top advice on how to beat the airport and a unique interview with self-professed massive megalooper Colin. He is the founder of the originally named Kite Kooks Phenomenon and is regarded as the most controversial character in the sport today. Nail the back roll with Coach Crathen and gain some great new insights to the world of Woo directly from Woo HQ. We're going to go straight in with my airport tip section. Why do I think I'm qualified to talk about some of the things I'm about to? Well, I travel six months of the year and I'm actually in touch with a lot of people that travel even more than that and flying and learning how to get the best out of at the airport, especially with all the baggage that we have as kite surfers, has become something that's very important and, and a skill I think I've picked up. I've got the tips for you, so listen up. We're going to start in order, I think, with with your journey and generally the advice I'm giving you now is is, is, is in regard to, to the lead up to that big moment where you, you have the showdown with a lady or man opposite you at the check-in desk. So we're going to take you all the way back to, to planning your journey. And for me, making a good checklist is probably number one. You've got to know what you need to take. And if you don't start making checklists, you're going to forget something. I mean, even at the best of times, you usually forget one thing anyway. But at least make a checklist so that you know you've got the things you need. That's pretty obvious. The next bit of advice for you is to research the baggage allowance. You need to know the rules for the airline you're flying with. It's easy to find these days on the airline websites. For example, finding out whether you're going to get more weight for, let's say, just checking in as windsurfing can be really useful. It will list all the weights, all the different sports. I mean, these days, kite surfing is appearing in those categories, but every now and then, windsurfing gives you five kilograms more for the same price. So it's worth knowing exactly what you're playing with. Fold your kites. There's a good one for you. Rather than roll them up like sausages, if you can be bothered to fold them up on a, a flat surface, they can really start taking up hardly any space at all. And I, I'd say that's something I try and do every single trip. I just fold them really tight, Make sure that they're taking up less room. It's always good not to have a bag which looks massive, so you're off to a good start. Buy some portable scales. I always have a little pair of scales with me, tiny little digital ones, just to know what I've got. And, you know, I want to be ready when I get there. I need to know exactly how much my bags weigh before that moment. I don't want any surprises when I get to the airport. And lastly, on our sort of preparation to getting to the airport, is to know what you can remove from your bag. This is known as negotiation weight. You need to know what things can come out of that bag, which will really help your case, uh, excuse the pun, when you get to the airport. Because usually there might be a bit of a showdown. You, you kind of want to be going in there two, three, four kgs over anyway, just so that you can actually, you know, get the most out of your, out of your journey. So let's say it's time to head to the airport. We've done all of our preparation. We're ready for it. We're ready to take them on. Visualize a positive result. Now that might sound a bit lame, but it can really, really help if you just try to visualize that things are gonna work out great when you do get to the airport. Nine times out of 10, you will magnetize that great energy of getting the right person behind that desk. It really does help. You know, it doesn't help to go there thinking, right, I'm gonna have a big deal today. I've got loads of weight. I'm gonna get an annoying person. 
you're kind of preparing yourself for the worst like that. Moving on to some of the biggest tips that I can actually tell you now from experience, and I'm sure there's gonna be some controversy around this, but I'm prepared for it, don't worry. Hide the carry-on bag, the big bag which has sort of 15, 20K with a spare bar, maybe a kite in there as well, all your clothes for your trip. They don't need to see that. When it comes to carry-on at the check-in desk, show them your rucksack and maybe a, a bag of other things might be coming in at 10 kg. They'll be happy with that. But what they don't see is your 15 kg carry-on bag. It's in the right sort of dimensions. It's heavy. All they care about really is that that goes in above your head when you get on the plane. The only time they can bring you up with that is when you get to the gate. But if you play things right at the gate, they're never going to bother trying to fit it in that thing or or actually bring you up on the way. I don't even know if they have scales down there. I don't often, if not ever, have had anyone pull me up on my carry-on. They don't need to see it at check-in, and straight away I know some of you are gonna get on the whole, what about the weight of the plane and all that stuff. I've got an answer for you there in just a moment's time. If you're worried that they're starting to see it, I mean, I just have it underneath my coat or cleverly just behind the desk so they don't see it. If you are starting to get nervous, create a diversion. Ask them about the plane. Is the plane on time today? What type of plane is it? Just start, you know, getting them not to think about that if they are. But they're usually sitting there. They don't see that stuff. They want to weigh in your big board bag and see what carry-on that you've told them you've got. They'll even give you a tag for your rucksack and maybe your other little bag you're carrying that you can then remove and put on your, on your actual real carry-on bag, which then says this has been approved by the check-in. There's your argument right there if you ever got pulled up about it. I never have. It's one of the key things to my journey is that they don't see my heavy carry-on. Moving on, so we've got our big ball bag, which is, you know, it's been negotiated. Usually it's easier to pay for this, you know, I'm not going to lie. Pay for a kite ball bag. If it's 25 kg, you want to be thinking about maybe pushing 30 in it. Obviously, we've got other weight that we're sneaking on anyway. But here is another great tip for you. Nearly all the time, I mean, I don't know barely any airports I've gone to where my big long kite ball bag has gone straight in there at the check-in desk. What do you hear all the time? You hear, please take it to the oversized baggage area. And that is your cue that you can go away and stuff it full of stuff. I've even gone as far as having other mates stand by and often help me to load that in when we're around the corner. That's often the courtesy of other fellow kiteboarders you're with is to, to sit there with other stuff that you can stuff in there. They're gonna give you a little tag which weighs your bag and says it's about 27. By the time it's going in there, it can be 35 etc etc one of the good ways to deal with this is actually go around the corner then start offloading from that heavy bag you have that's going to be carried onto the plane you don't really want to be carrying a 15 kg bag and putting that above your head it's quite difficult to work with you've already got your rucksack and maybe something else so offload the bar and the kite back into your board bag that's going to push it up some weight but they don't care about that once you've got that baggage uh, ticket that baggage uh, sticker thing on your board you go and give it to the guy he just matches it up there oversized and it goes straight through that is a great moment you should be stoked once that starts going through so all those people that say wow that's dangerous what about the extra weight that you've not declared for the plane is the plane going to come down my answer there simply is they don't weigh the people that go on the plane and if you can Use your imagination, it will save us a minute of me explaining where that goes. Your argument ends there. They don't weigh the people, so what's the problem with that? Another great tip for you would be to board the plane last. This is something that I go out of my way to even ask as uh, I'm getting on and they're trying to rush the people and never queue up. Board the plane last and then you know, if you definitely know you're the last person onto that plane, any seat you see can be yours. You're not going to sit there thinking, oh, someone's going to come on if you've got on early that... 
you know, this amazing window seat that, that was not given to me is going to be claimed by somebody else. That's a horrible thing to, to have to deal with when you're definitely sitting in someone else's seat. Just get on the plane last, then you've got the luxury of sitting anywhere you want. They usually want to go by then. They don't care about you doing that. And that works all the time for me. Rather than sit in the middle with a seat allocation of B right in between people, just get on last. You choose anything. They don't mind. What they don't like is people all asking, oh, can I get up and move? Can I get up? They usually say, well, after we take off, remove all of that, board the plane last, and choose the seat you want. Always works every time. Enjoy delays and cancellations. Did you know there's websites such as flightright.com that will help you claim compensation? I've had up to 500 euros before for a flight which is cancelled or a flight which is over two hours delayed. You're entitled to money. They don't let you know that so much at the airline. So get on those websites. They make it so easy. All you have to do is pretty much paste your booking in there. They have systems which know if a flight was delayed and by how long takes three or four weeks and then before you know it you've got three or four hundred euros in your bank well worth it you can even backdate that stuff as well so if you've missed uh, sorry if you've had a flight cancelled or you've had one over two hours delayed in the last five or even seven years you can get that money back try to bring your own food and water and bring a spoon or a fork i mean we all know that the plain food isn't that great you know i'd like to think that everybody's aware that it isn't the best food on there why not make your own food the night before even buying a decent salad or something at the airport is going to be well better than that plain food but after recent experience on norwegian airlines which uh, i don't want to go into too much they wouldn't even give me a fork because they were only trying to sell their own food bring your own fork or at least a spoon or, or possibly a spork which is a combination of a spoon fork and knife actually that's the ultimate one to have it in your bag and then eat your nice food happily knowing it's great and they haven't charged you 20 quid. So that is my tips for making uh, flying easier and beating the airports. For example, my last flight turned up with 47 kg, only actually had 30 on my ticket. Got in no probs. There's plenty of other tips I'm sure people might have. Why not share them in the comments on this podcast and let us know how we can travel easier as kite borders and remember they don't weigh people so don't get upset about the extra sneaky weight i'm bringing in you're listening to on the air without further ado we're going to move on to this interview with colin the founder of kite kooks or formerly known as kite kooks it's often changing names but we'll get into that a little bit more Colin has rapidly grown to success. Over the last two years, he started as nothing and has become somebody. He has quite a big social media following and is known for his strange views in the world of kiteboarding. Thanks, Colin, for coming down at such short notice. Actually, I've never really had anyone this desperate to be on my show. I only messaged you yesterday. I did drive very, very quickly here, Lewis. And can I just say, before we get on to all the questions and that, Thank you so much for having me on. I am I'm almost speechless. Obviously, it would be a disaster if I was genuinely speechless on a podcast, but I'm going to try and hold my excitement together. I was hoping to actually learn a bit more about you and how you got into the sport and, you know, who, who Jason is, those sorts of things. Talk to you about your, you know, quite fastly rising uh, social media channels, but... I guess the the main question that I wanted to get going with straight away was, why did you come down so quickly to be on the show? I mean, it's obvious from my perspective. I haven't done a, a you know a podcast while I needed someone on here, and you were down here in a flash. What, Ham? What is it? Why am I here so quick? Yeah. What What is it? 
What is it you want to say today? I want to get kids into the sport. That's why I think your little talks that you do in schools are so good because kids are the, they're the next, aren't they? They are, and I think that's a nice subject you've brought. We're going to get on great today, actually, if that's what you really truly believe and what your your passion is. I think it's certainly one of mine. We're going to get on quite great. So let's just go delving straight into that, as it's one hot topic for me right now. What advice would you have to, to young people, aspiring riders, looking to be the next Aaron Hadlow or, you know, Kevin Lundere yeah, or perhaps it, yeah. yourself? Yeah, well... In this day and age, Lewis, I think it is quite a lot more important to be good at social media than it is to be good at kiteboarding. Would you agree with that? Well, no, actually. I, a bit, I, though. I... But what will we say? Oh, yeah, so my tips for the little people, kids growing up is, number one, um, get, oh, get, get, a, get a person to do it for you, yeah? That's why I've got Jason. He is... For all of you who don't know who he is, he is my editor, video editor, and he also can edit other stuff like, like if emails, he's good at. And well, I try and say, you know, for the times I am speaking to other people, to try and learn those skills yourself. They can help you in the long run, and and really try and do as much as you can to start with. So that's quite, it's quite different is, views we have there. You sound like you're some sort of Lower sixth form careers advisor. Okay, a bit harsh, but... Um. Well, <laughs> lighten up a bit, Lewis. Come on, we're not all about working real hard to get to our goals, is it? It's, you should try well, and well, do... Well, no, actually, I think it is... Just take the shortest path to get I to the I think we've just, we've just got rich. going here, and I think that's... Um, certainly, I'd like to distance myself from any viewers that think... Or listeners, sorry, that think that's what I'm into because I do believe it's actually about hard work and not a quick fix you know speak for yourself Colin you've had two years of this quite arguably you were a nobody before and now you've got this big social media following which is you know quite quite honestly just a bit ridiculous but you've got this big following so it's a very different way to, to, to most and I don't agree with it if you like and I think that's a bit rude saying that you know that I should consider consider that advice Maybe don't put that bit in. Maybe, hang on, let me do this bit again. So, Lewis, Lewis, good question, and here I'm going to answer it. So, it's good on social media to always be yourself and to try your, your best with everything that you do and to always be honest. And, and, so, no, I'm not done, one bit more. And to, to use other people's names as your Instagram account. Oh yeah, that is good. So yeah, don't bother with any of that growth stuff. Yeah, if you Google how to get good Instagram, yeah, it will come up with all sorts of lies. Like you need to put up loads of photos of stuff, and occasionally a video is good as well. That's not true. Yeah, what you want to do yeah is get yourself a little account yeah that someone else has already done like loads of got loads of things on it yeah and then you buy that yeah and then you just change the name and just run with it do you know what 
My name at the moment is Michelle Sky Haywood, yeah. And I think young kids should go on her account and just be so motivated by her content. Like some of the stuff she does, she's been, you know, just slightly risky picture or whatever. But then in the caption, Lewis, is something so heartfelt, something so philosophically deep that you can just go to a whole new sort of dimension of your own self just by looking at her captions. They are beautifully written. Okay, we're going we're gonna to carry on, Colin. Um, I think we should change the subject. And, no, uh, hang on. Just back to that. Yeah. Guess how much my one cost? Your Instagram? Yeah. Well, I, I didn't know there was a cost involved. How, how do you mean? We got that. We got our Instagram, yeah, for 10 quid and a Bitcoin. 10 quid and a Bitcoin. You know you can start an Instagram account for free. Yeah, but if you at the start there is no one, is it? You're just no. like basically screaming into a pillow, ain't you? There's no point. <laughs> just trust me. You need some sort of shortcut here, and that is how you do it. Talking of shortcuts, Colin, two years. It's taken you two years to go from pretty much nothing to where you are now with thousands, or I mean, it's fourteen, fifteen thousand Instagram followers. You've got all these various uh, features going on how's this happened you know so quickly what's your tips if you like for other people and shortcuts if you're so into them changing the name is the way to change the game <laughs> why are you laughing it is actually good <laughs> no we're both <laughs> serious as anything's been said there like it just like hit me like uh that's just hit me like a ton of bricks yeah that is but good you've got to have you've got to have the boldness to yeah to do that right how did you you know is this one of jason's idea was it your idea to change the name not just change the name to anyone to change the name to somebody else well yeah it was i think it reflects our innovative nature as humans but mm, that's rubbish don't put that in what is my answer my answer is if you keep changing the name people when they're scrolling the thumb is going so quick and then all of a sudden they're like oh who is this i've swear i've never seen that before and then they stop to look and then they just become so mesmerized by how interesting the photo is of whatever it is and then you get more and you want more, don't you? It's good to have more. Let's talk King of the Air, Colin. It's a subject that I really wanted to bring up with you. I noticed you wear the helmet. Yeah, Pussy and, and let me loose. just, yeah, I know yeah. where this is going. Why weren't you in it? Yeah, and here's yeah. my answer. Two good ones. You're probably going to be, you're going to be speechless after this, yeah. One, it's not windy enough, is it? I need some serious wind. It's got to be basically hurricane. For me to <laughs> <laughs> Lewis, I need a natural disaster for me to throw the kind of shit I need to to win that competition, yeah. And the other reason that I have not forgotten is, is... Oh yeah. I don't like Red Bull. 
Why don't you like Red Bull? Well, unless it's everyone with... likes Red Bull. No one so. likes it. Unless well, the drink itself, unless it's with Jaeger. If it's with Jaeger, it's, it's good. Yeah. So I'm just very anti-diabetes. So I don't don't like that. Career goals, Colin. What are your career goals? One day, Lewis, I want to get really rich. I said career goals, like kiteboarding career goals. Oh, you yeah. want to win something. You want to yeah. achieve something. Maybe there's a sponsor you always wanted. Yeah. Um, the, 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 yeah. Well, whichever one, I basically, I want to get so, I know you don't like the rich bit, but I want to get so rich that I can buy my own post office. Okay. Where's this going? Well, because then I can just send it all day and no one can stop me. And other people can come and they can send it as well. Send it back to you? No, they, no, you don't get it, do you? You just send it at the post office you don't get it back do you unless they're returning the package or something but anyway that's boring cut that out <laughs> so lewis right now is cradling my post office sign yeah some poor post office has gone out of business isn't it there's people going in there trying to buy beers and things because they don't know what shop it is right now is there we, a lot of mail which hasn't arrived today we didn't we didn't steal it it looks pretty stolen to me no well they weren't using it at that point. It was the night. <laughs> yeah, it is good. That thing's my pride and joy. I literally don't go anywhere without that thing. It is solid. I'm tempted to bash that around someone too. You could, really good. you could kill someone it. with that. Cast iron. That is going to be a big part of chapter two. Yeah, and it is good. When on the way to the spot, yeah, we uh, undo the window a little bit, put it out and then do the window up again so it's a bit jammed in the car. And then it's on show whilst we're on the way to the spot. I just think there's something about the post office that has got a ring to it. That is the name of my home spot. The po You're welcome to come to the post office any time and come send it with us. Where is the home spot? I've never heard of a post office spot. Well, it's sort of wherever I'm riding, to be honest, is becomes the post office. It was just my home spot in Hunstanton. Only two hours from London, ideally situated. But um, yeah, you can you can make post office wherever I am. Basically, join it and be a part of the phenomenon that it is. I'd like to know, Colin, one thing because I don't think it's ever come out. Certainly not in a one-to-one -one interview like this. You're sitting across the table from me. Um, I'd like to know how you've got into kiteboarding and and gone so far so quickly. Maybe you can explain. So you want to know when I got into it? Yeah, how did you get into it? Where did you learn? No one knows any of this stuff. And um, I think they doubt it maybe. So maybe you can tell me straight up how, well, how you started. Good, good job you asked, Lewis, because I've actually gone and made something for, to be in the show. So you could get that, the thing I'm going to give you and play it now. Okay, Lewis, yep, over to me, who's standing on the beach here at Halin Island, the sacred 
ground that Aaron has just bought a house near. Let me take you all back to a stag weekend in the early 2000s, yeah? We're on the golf course at Hailing Island. Second hole, I'm in the old rough. I'm just about to take my little stick back to hit the thing, yeah? And then Sam Light, yeah? He just comes absolutely hooning in through the rough and the bushes and shit, up a bunker, yeah, he had all sand in his face, and then he came crashing onto the old green, and everyone's like, oh my God, who is this guy? Look, he is so out of control, yeah? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, here is my moment to be heroic. This is gonna be absolutely sick. I can save this guy, yeah? But then, it all came to quite a swift end because his harness little hook thing, yeah, as he was going through the green, yeah, by the way, the groundsman must have been absolutely fuming with him. He bet Sam Light basically carved this, like, World War One trench right through hole number two green, yeah. Anyway, his harness thing gets stuck in the hole. <laughs> Actually stuck in it, yeah. Okay, okay, we're going to have to cut it there as it gets a bit out of hand. But to listen to the full account of how Colin got into kiteboarding, make sure you are following Colin's YouTube channel. You're listening to On The Air with Lewis Crathen. We're going to move on now, though, to a bit on Woo, a bit more of an insight on Woo, which is very fitting as I'm here in Boston. And joining me now is Leo, who is the founder of Woo, and I've been spending some time with him over the last few days. Worldwide on Woo. So I've got three questions for you. Leo, uh, seeing as I've spent a lot of time in the office this week, which I haven't done for quite a few years now, and it's a really exciting place. Everyone's really stoked on what they're doing. There's about 100 boards in there, 100 kites. You know, it's a real fun place. And I wanted to know from your perspective, how how do you go around creating an atmosphere like that in an office? I think it's... um. It's a, a multitude of different elements that you constantly try to reinforce and, and um, strengthen within your company. Obviously, what you kind of see um, right there when you, when you walk into the office is, in the end of the day, an expression of our culture and our brand. And that is ultimately expression of who we are as people. Um, and we were and continue to be rather diligent in, in our, for example, hiring process when we bring on people the most important piece of it is that cultural fit. We want people that fit into our um, mold, so to speak, that when they come into the office, they feel um, like they, they kind of can thrive in that environment. And the way I would describe our culture is certainly a big piece of um, humility and, and humbleness. We don't um, think we're something super special. We don't think we're the kings of the world. And um, we know that building, building a company and particularly building something meaningful takes a lot of hard work and isn't easy so we take that very seriously at the same time we try to have fun um, and this is a core belief that we have um, within our company that having fun at work is actually something that is going to help the company if we have an employee that's not having fun that's stressed that's overworked um, that's a bad thing that means that we as, as a management team or as a company are not doing a good job and that our culture is failing us because um, these people are not going to be productive. They're going to you know, look for other things to do. They're going to want to try to walk away and, and, and find something else. Um, obviously, this is kind of the status quo in, in you know, most of the, the 
well work and business world where where people are meant to be productive and meant to work hard but i think really it, it kind of goes the other way first your first job as a leader and as a company is to make people happy if they're happy they're primed to be um, doing a really good job and i think that kind of resonates throughout our obviously outward facing communication as a brand but also inward facing within the company in our culture that we're that we're all trying to have fun and I find myself for the most part actually chasing Alex, Tyler and a bunch of the guys to go out kiteboarding and they're like, no, I got stuff to do. I'm like, guys, get the heck out of there. So um, there's been once a book written by the founder of Patagonia that says, let your people go surf. And, and I would even like um, take that a step further and, and you know, say something like make your people go surf. It's, it's really, really important that people have a good balance, that they have fun at work. Um, and that ultimately is the is the perfect breeding ground for having that type of environment that you stepped into and that kind of like feeling you got when you got into the Wu office with all the kites and all the gear and you know. Yeah, I mean, I loved it. I don't spend much time in offices, as you can imagine, but I think the stereotypical image of an office or what I expect is that everyone's sitting in silence, not talking, kind of not wanting to be there, but it's quite the opposite in there. And like, if you can imagine the scene, if you're listening now, it's like this big, amazing old building, huge, big, big low wooden beams everywhere. It's it's a real characteristic building that they're that they're in, and everyone's stoked, and everyone goes kiting. You know, afternoon time that was quite nice for me. We had time in the office, time at the beach, and everybody's there. Every single employee that's working for the Woo Company at the moment. They're into the sports. There's someone really into wakeboarding in there. There's kiteboarders and not just of top level abilities, all different ranges. So that's really covered quite nicely. I, I like that a lot. Moving on to my next question for you, Leo. I've taken him by surprise here. I'm just at Leo's apartment where he's been having me stay. I've sat him down for these questions. And my next question is, when you had this idea for Woo originally, did you, did you ever imagine it could get this big? Um, I think... I think the answer is yes and no. Um, there's there's a obviously deep kind of I call it a fear and a doubt in in everybody when you when you set out to do something like this because you're like oh my god how are we ever gonna get this off the ground and get this built and there's problem after problem coming for you every day and particularly in the first you know couple of weeks and months that you start all these problems are existential. Does the technology even work? Can we even build this thing right it's it's like if the answer is no that would mean the end of the dream kind of thing on the flip side of things there is this um naivete and kind of like blind conviction that you need to have as an entrepreneur i believe where you like almost force it to to become a reality even though all the signs are pointing against you and even though there's you know 100 reasons to believe that this is not going to work and if everyone or anyone ever sat you down and said look Leo if you look at the facts this is not going to work you need to have that blind and almost stupid optimism that no we're going to make this work um, so the answer to your question would be yes and no um, in terms of you know how do you how do you make this work and did you actually believe you, you could make something like this work there's one end of you that is very critical and the other end is very optimistic. And I think the, the two of them make a good mix because the critical piece keeps you very aware and honest of actual problems that exist. You can't be completely blind. You can't be completely oblivious to challenges you will face. Um, and if, if you are that, you're going to run very quickly into probably a you know, couple of knives that will 
um, be the end of the story. On, on the flip side of things, you need that kind of like silly, stupid and, and ignorant, arrogant, call it whatever, conviction. Like, no, we're going to make this happen, even though everything is pointing against us right now. We're going to make this happen. And it is happening on quite a grand scale. Do you have uh, any statistics for me as far as how many woo users there are out there or woozers like that <laughs> word i've just come up with we haven't yet used it too much um but it's an interesting concept like woozers um sounds a bit like losers and i don't like that <laughs> so maybe we'll, we'll ditch that but how many are there out there right now actively taking part in this game so we have about um twenty thousand sessions every month so it's twenty thousand times that someone picks up a woo goes out riding logs a session downloads it and posts it on our app um, and that's obviously a uh, a ton and ton of activity and we're super psyched to see that um, in terms of total jump height or, or in, ter in terms of total sessions i think we're nearing about a half a million sessions total oh wow so that's um, a lot of data yeah that's a lot of a lot, lot of, da of data. Your data guys to go through <laughs> exactly and we're you know we're looking into this a little bit there's a company here in boston that um does exactly that they take somewhat unstructured data and and try to find analytics and and meaningful information out of it for example that you know people on the north rebel usually tend to jump a little bit higher or whatever it well of be, course right? i mean i could have told you that <laughs> i was that, that was just uh, you know that was like uh that was writing you to your playbook right um so so there's that piece i think in in terms of like total jump height we must have by now made like 20 percent to the moon and that's something that we're looking to to you know reinforce as we go now um i hope i get this right but i think the distance to moon is 300,000 kilometers so that would mean we have about 50,000, 60,000 kilometers of total jump height, which is a lot. It's already around the world. And, um, and these are right jumps that every, every single person in, in the community contributed to that. Um, so overall, like that's, that's all super exciting to see. In terms of users, we're at about almost 30,000. So 30,000 okay. people. Yeah, that some, some good numbers there. My last question for you then, um, as, as there's such a cool feeling and vibe around Woo 3.0 at the moment. I mean, I've come from the start of Woo 1, Woo 2, Woo 3.0, and I know that we've been chatting a little bit about what might might come in future and what's around the corner, and it's so exciting. I mean, just to touch on it a little bit, rather than, I mean, obviously your biggest jump heights are really important and your, your hang time, but what I've been listening to with you is these amazing new ideas, sort of thinking sideways of, of new things to come with Woo. Can you give us any hints on that? Um, I certainly can give you a little hint. So, um, I mean, obviously with with the the vision of our company and kind of like the heart and soul of where we, where we come from and what we believe in is that games are incredibly powerful to alter human behavior. Um, you can see it in a negative way and how much people time spend moving rocks around on Candy Crush, right? Like it's, it's a very mundane activity in the end of the day. Um, it doesn't create any value, but people do it voluntarily for hours and hours and hours in front of their mobile phones. And, and that's a good sign on, on how people all of a sudden get addicted to essentially fulfilling tasks and doing work. And, and we want to use games as much as we can to, um, to drive hu humans and, and people to A, live better lives for themselves, but also do things um, for our planet and for nature. And, one thing that we're kind of looking at a little bit is, is it's a very obvious problem for, I think, most kiteboarders. Any beach you go to, there's a lot of trash lying around. There's a lot of um, waste, a lot of plastic. 
And um, that's something that we're looking to creatively um, to see what we can do with our technology and our community if we can you know, tackle that problem a little bit. And this is, we're trying to think a little bit out of the box and, and um, you know, push hard to fulfill kind of the ultimate mission and vision of our company. That sounds really exciting, actually. And uh, I can't wait to hear more about that. But thanks, Leo, for chatting with me. And thanks for having me stay at your place for <laughs> putting up for me. For thanks. You're, you're, you're a wonderful and very easy guest. So <laughs> you're welcome you, anytime. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. That was a really interesting chat with Leo, CEO of Woo Sports. Kiteboarding Tips with Coach Crafton. Take your riding to the next level. It's time to talk you through the back roll then, one of the first moves that you will go and try and learn after you've you've jumped your first bits of air. And the nice thing with the back roll is you don't need to jump super high. You can achieve the back roll just by edging. And I think that's where we're gonna start with this move. It's all about how well you can edge away from the kite. Park that kite at around 11, 11.30, maybe not 12, but just high. That What I'm trying to get into your heads here is you need the kite to be high above you. If it's too low, it's gonna be pulling you very hard downwind. You'll need an exceptional bit of pop to get round that back roll. So to start things off, we're just gonna take it easy, not going super fast into this move. Kite's nice and high, and we're gonna try and direct our board upwind. That's pushing hard into the back foot, into the heel of the back foot. And it even helps to actually turn your upper body as you come round this edge and present your upper body around this back roll. You want to be looking in the direction that you're trying to edge round. The difficult thing with the back roll for the first time is actually bringing the bar round with you. And a good tip I have for this view is to just forget the board, kick the board off, go and stand in the shallows, somewhere safe, you know, sort of definitely above knee deep. I'd say waist deep's a bit safer. And actually just stand underneath the kite with it at 12 and spin round a 360. Get used to that feeling of your lines being crossed, then unspinning the bar once things are fine. You can actually hold a kite with the lines twisted for quite some time. Get used to that feeling. You're going to need to rotate fully with the bar 360 degrees. And that's the biggest hurdle for most people starting off with the back roll is this strange feeling of suddenly twisting the bar up. It does feel weird. And if you've had that experience already, like I said, standing there without the board, remove all of that extra hassle and learn how it feels to actually have the bar 360 degrees span round with your lines twisted. It's not that scary at all. So going back to visualizing the move, kites at around 11, in between 11 and 12, nice and high. We're gonna aim for a little bit of chop if it's there or a small wave, or if you're on the flat, we're just gonna try and concentrate on committing to the move, which starts by edging upwind and directing your board upwind. You've really got to attack that area with that back foot, as I've mentioned, and try to think of the back roll as edging around as much as you can before you leave the water. One thing if you took from this instructional with Coach Crathen is that three quarters of a back roll, or even, even, even more sometimes, can be complete on the water before you've even taken off. So that is the sort of carve that you're trying to carve around and it's done so on the water. So looking behind your front shoulder, turning your head very much so if you're riding left foot forwards, that's gonna be turning the head to the left, looking over your, your left shoulder there will really help initiate the spin, but try not to go head first to start with. I think it's a good technique to start with the board edging first. If you turn your head a bit too early, you'll find your top half can come round too early and you'll get stuck in that position in a nose diving position. The board really hasn't done the work. It really is board first, 
head second. Pull the bar in slightly if you feel you need a little bit of lift, but make sure your hands are in the center of the bar. This is another great tip. If your hands are right to the edges, if you make any movements quickly on the bar, the kite's gonna react and it's gonna mess up that natural flow. So hands in the middle of the bar, Bar can be out, which will help, you know, sheet the bar out as you go into this back roll. That will help give you good contact with the water. The kite won't be pulling you too, too hard. And then as you take off from this nice edge, then you can pull the bar in. That helps a little bit. That gives you a bit of lift. But we don't want to be using the kite for this move. If anything, we want to be slightly sending it down as pulling on the backhand can send it way over the top. And that leads me on now to the common problems, which is basically always pulling on the backhand. If you have a problem with this, where you're going into the back roll and it's nearly going into a crazy back roll kite loop, you can try just removing the backhand as you edge round and take off. Just take it off. You don't need it on the bar anymore. It's a common problem because it's natural to try and pull that backhand to help the body get round the back roll. Perhaps you're not really getting getting round fully off the water. It's usually because you're not edging well enough. Really try and concentrate that nice edging move and stay upright as well you don't want to be bending down and squatting down to the water you've got to try and stay upwards and tall to the water for this move it's all in the board edge you're listening to on the air Lewis last episode if you can remember that far back i asked you to tell me who this was I'm paddling around the city and around the harbor and it's awesome you know the place is insane sean mcneil got it right it was of course robbie nash via my Facebook page, he said it was great to hear Nick talk all about that epic Dubai jump and the story surrounding the crane jump. My question is this, have you any plans yourself in the pipeline that you can tell us about? Well, that's a great question, Sean. Now you probably are referring to some of my peer jumps. That was 2009 and 2010. That was that was eight years ago now. Can you believe that, that that happened? That was a a major turning point in my career of kiteboarding. I'd nearly given up. I was doing all the competition circuits, that sort of thing. And then one jump over the pier, one minute jump, just got me more exposure than I ever could have imagined. And to answer your question about whether I think about things like that, I think about it all the time. There's certain things in my head that I let myself get carried away with and, and run away in my mind about. But I guess things are slightly different now. I'm really happy in the kiteboarding industry i've got some great sponsors behind me uh, i feel really supported i'm not so maybe not so young anymore like i was i was only 20 22 or 23 when i done those peer jumps and i had nothing to lose really i just really was in that frame of mind about just doing something and i think that's what plays on my mind a little bit now should something maybe go wrong is that everything's going great i'm comfortable i'm not worried about the future I maybe don't feel the need to do something like that, but the bottom line is, is that if you have that mentality or mindset, it does eat away at you. And I do have some ideas about some great things that could be done, but who knows, maybe they'll just stay in my mind forever, or maybe I'll actually go out and do them. I don't know. We'll see. For now, it's just great watching guys like Nick Jacobson and sitting there watching it from the comfort of my own home. Here is this episode's flying related question and I filmed this myself on these amazing little boat journeys with Leo. He takes you around, you can get right close to the runways here at Boston Airport. It's really exciting. So I want to know what type of aircraft this is.
that was cool. The first answer that gets it correct gets to ask me anything. So just leave a comment on the SoundCloud page or via my Facebook page. So that just about wraps up this episode. Bye for now. And remember, always wash your kite bar with fresh water. Cheers. <laughs> <laughs>